This is Living Proof Radio, May 2024. All of our full episodes are available on our Patreon with weekly drops, a Patreon-only radio show, and Living Proof magazine delivered to your house every issue, as well as our entire members-only library backlog. Patreon.com slash York. So that's actually something that I uh, want to get into, um, I guess, like your different stages of life from uh, mm-hmm. doing like research on you and just knowing about you and your life and your path as a, as a graffiti writer, your path mm-hmm. as an artist and just as a human being, like it's clear that you've had, uh, you know, several phases in, in life um, as a lot of people do. And one of the things that I uh, wanted to start speaking on was um, the health scare that you had in 2011 where mm-hmm. they, at the time they thought you had a stroke um, and that you were uh, partially paralyzed on the left side of your body, but you were living a pretty healthy life during this time period. You were drug and alcohol free for 15 years and you had a pretty clean diet. You were like vegan at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like undergoing this was kind of just a lesson on your own mortality and making you realize like, oh, wow, we're really not invincible because as younger people, you know, like you said, you you were just like running on fumes, writing graffiti, living this kind of like whatever lifestyle. So I guess uh, I wanted to start it off by asking you um, what exactly happened there and how did that just influence uh, your life going forward? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, it was like really one of the most consequential things to happen to me really in my whole life. You know, it, it really shaped um, the way I've lived my life from then. I really was one of those people that thought I had it all together like I really understood kind of everything you know in my own mind and um you know like my attitude to kind of health and kind of obviously abstaining from drugs and alcohol since the age of 17 um you know it it did come as a shock um but when I look back maybe not not as shocking as I kind of thought at the time you know because as you say I you know, I, I didn't really function on very much. I, I did, Sorry, I, I've always functioned on very little sleep. And I've learned like in time that like, you know, sleep is kind of one of the most important things. Like you really, you really can't like lose sleep. You know, it really impacts your, your health, you know, in such a major way. Sleep deprivation, stress was the other thing. You know, there's a lot going on in, in my life. A lot of things I was very paranoid about every day. Um, particularly like a lot of the consequences, you know, for, for painting graffiti actively, um, financial stress, you know, like we're just living this lifestyle and never knowing, you know, where my, my next, like, you know, uh, pay paycheck will come from, you know, and if I was going to make rent or, you know, be able to eat well and all that sort of thing. So, you know, there was a lot definitely on my shoulders and yeah, definitely financial stress even beyond that, like being, somebody that lived outside of the system and just not really being on top of my taxes and all of that was catching up with me. So, you know, I look back and I'm like, yeah, you know, I was going to the gym every day and running all the time and doing yoga and eating vegan and like not doing drugs and alcohol and, and all of that. But to say that there wasn't like, you know, that there weren't, you know, things contributing to to that, you know, that that I guess now I realize that's a sort of a naive standpoint. So um I was just walking to the studio one day, you know, it was like the first time I'd I'd had a sleep in, in a while. And I caught a, a train into the city from West Auckland where I was living at the time. And um I went to my favorite vegan spot and I had a scrambled tofu thing for breakfast that I liked, and I had a couple of espressos, and then I was, like, walking to the studio in this pan, just like a a popping sensation in my right um, temple, and then that was followed by, like, the worst headache, like, I'd ever felt in my life, and um, I got, like, maybe three or four blocks from where that had happened, and I collapsed on a, a bus stop, like, I tried to sit down on a bus stop seat, and I slumped right off and fell on the ground, and people, I do remember like people walking just straight over me and walking past and no one was asking me what was up. They were probably just assuming the worst, um, except for one guy who sort of within a few minutes ran across from the other side of the road. He was a, a medical student. And, uh, you know, he asked me, you know, are you on drugs and alcohol? And I was like, no. 
I, mean, I don't think I could even talk properly. I was like slurring and then he was like, hey, don't worry, just chill. I, I got an ambulance on the way. And then uh, next thing I was off to the hospital and I, was, I had a CAT scan where something came up. So then it was like two MRIs. And then I had uh, over the course of the next couple of days, like an ECG, you know, where they put the camera down to have a look at the back of your heart and everything. Um, I had a lumbar puncture, you know, so they could see if my brain was bleeding, like everything, because they sort of, they realized like quite quickly that it wasn't a stroke. Like they put me in the stroke ward and um, that was pretty scary. Actually, like coincidentally, one of my school friends' father was in the bed right next to me and he had woken up that morning and couldn't talk. Like just woke up one day, like went to bed the night before he could talk, woke up the next day, he could no longer talk like from a stroke, like, so it was like mentally kind of like preparing myself for what life post-stroke would look like. And um, and then I started to kind of like um, heal, you know, like I was bouncing back. And so that hence why they gave me a second MRI. And it looked as if like pretty much like whatever had happened was like a temporary thing. So what it was, was a blood vessel in my right frontal lobe just constricted momentarily and um, stop the the flow of blood to the left side of my body and partially paralyze me. And I was like, probably, I always tell people about 95% better within like a couple of days. Um, but that last 5%, you know, it was a good two years of kind of getting my health back to something that seemed normal. And funnily enough, a, a big part of that returning to normal health was um, relaxing on some of the you know, strict regime that I was sort of living by at that time, you know, relaxing my diet a little, you know, being okay to drink a few beers casually, you know, with people with a meal and, you know, at the end of a long work day, like learning how to unwind and 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 not be so uptight, you know. Wow, that's that's uh, really nuts, man, because, you know, it's crazy, like recently in, in my life, I've heard of a few people who like old friends of mine from the past, uh they just i'm just like out of nowhere i go on instagram or i I get contacted from another old friend and they're like did you hear so and so just got into an absolutely crazy accident and you know is like has been in a coma for a number of days or um you know i I heard of a my friend's friend just you know completely healthy uh young gets in a car gets railed from the side and then just dies um uh, and, and it's really crazy I mean, it's, it's, it's awful yeah like hearing hearing your story and it just makes you realize like i'm sitting here right now and i could just walk outside whatever i'm doing after this and that could be it you know and it's so easy to be like oh you know like life is precious and et cetera, et cetera, and we have to appreciate every moment which we do of course but to actually do that you know we're humans at the end of the day and it's so easy to grow accustomed to the things we have so like mm. even our most precious blessings, we stop, they become like our foundation, our foundation line that we just expect. So if mm. I come, if I come home and I have like a nice place or even a place that's like secure, I don't want, like after a little bit, I start to like numb that down. So, um, you know, that happening to you and, and you, you know, being alive today. And I must, that was like during a time period where you were like bombing, bombing a lot more, correct? Yeah, I mean, I was coming out of the tail end of, like, I had a, a, a short, I think a relatively short but focused stint of, like, painting a lot on, you know, on the passenger trains in my city, um, was painting a ton of freights, um, and was doing a lot of street spots, like, but doing nice pieces, like, because that was always kind of, like, my focus, you know? And um, tons of track sides, like, you know, street facing kind of lots and places that you could kind of paint something decent, you know, with like kind of the cover of night and it would be really visible during the day on the main roads and things. And just I was really I was really in the peak of <laughs> like the peak of my career. That was like kind of what sort of hurt the most. I think just the ego, like the knock to your ego, you know, like where you're just like you're like, man, I'm like, I'm finally at the, the point where I, I want to be. And then suddenly it's like, you're so exhausted. Like you just can't, you can't do what you were doing at the pace that you expected. And it's, 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 it's confronting for somebody to put all their eggs in one basket, so to speak. It's like, 
this is all I was. I, I didn't work another job on the side, really, you know, nothing, nothing that I, you know, that really kind of gave me that boost, like what, what painting graffiti did for me, you know? So it was, it was really confronting in that respect. I, I had to kind of go back and really assess, you know, what I was doing. Funnily enough, I, I went on a road trip like shortly after I'd been in hospital with um, Revoke, Orga, Zess, and along the way we picked up next and we drove from um, Los Angeles across to um, Detroit and we painted a, a ton, but I was like, I was not a hundred percent, man. Like I was like, I was really aware, like kind of about probably like 70% into the trip that I was like a real risk of like winding up in hospital again. You know, if I was trying to ma maintain the pace of these <laughs> these other friends of mine who are just such uh, beasts, you know, <laughs> like like the most craziest, craziest people to try and keep up with when you just got out of hospital. And it was like there were a, a few nights along the way where I had to be like, um, I got to tap out. Like I can't, I can't go out and paint three or four pieces this with you guys all night you know I need to like sleep because I, I was really worried you know like that I was going to wind up in, in the hospital in the U.S. and I'd feel so stupid you know <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, it's crazy yeah because I guess the the life of someone who dedicates all their time to writing graph especially someone who's bombing a lot um a lot of those people don't really have uh like they put so much passion into one thing and that one thing, as uh, someone on our show once said, like, gives you a legacy only when you're dead. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, like, you kind of ruin your life for a legacy once you're gone. Mm -hmm. But it's it's interesting to think about uh, your case and the case of a lot of your crewmates. Uh, you mentioned, like, Revoke. And just a lot of people who, who like, you know, you came up painting with ended up actually transcending uh, graffiti in a way and entering into, like, a more... I would call it like a different, a different phase of life, uh, mm. working on art and still you can still feel that, like that graph that's that, that like graffiti foundation. Um, wh what do you have to say about, uh, I guess, I guess my first question is how did you go from painting and bombing into, into making more types of, uh, fine, finer types of art? Mm. I mean, I think that I think there was a little bit of a zeitgeist around that time, and and I put it down to, you know, things that were happening. You know, if we look at look at that era, you know, like two thousand eight, two thousand nine, you know, you've got like the first primary flight events happen during the Art Basel Miami uh, week, you know, in 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 Wynwood. We see this kind of shift at that that time. Um, to sort of embracing more like the large scale mural thing. And, you know, there's a lot of crossover that starts to happen between people that paint graffiti traditionally, people that have studio practices and are pursuing fine art. Um, and, you know, also people who we would deem as kind of more like street artists and part of that movement. And contemporary artists who are sort of suddenly really focused on wanting to be outside and be a part of what we're doing as we're kind of like suddenly a whole lot of us looking at what they're doing and wanting to be where they are. And there was a kind of a passing at the, the gallery door, so to speak. I don't know if a huge amount of, you know, knowledge got, got exchanged, you know, not as much as probably should have between all those parties, but there's definitely a, a, a fusion of things that kind of made like, kind of a new movement, so to speak, you know. I also think, you know, it can't be understated, like, how influential Revoke is as a person, you know, like, along the way, whatever Revoke was kind of doing, and especially, like, back in this kind of, this is the era where blogging was still kind of the dominant thing. Like, I remember when I went to Miami in 2010 with all of my friends from New Zealand, from TMD, uh, that's I had just signed up for an Instagram like that week. So that's right at the beginning of the Instagram move where everything went off, like kind of being on a desktop computer and people looking at blogs, you know. And Revoke's blog was like, it was it was super influential. I, I know most people checked his blog like every day, like, you know, and whatever he said, kind of agree with him or not, like, you know, 
he was definitely like a tastemaker, you know, and, and whatever music he was checking and whatever kind of contemporary art he was starting to look at and, and appreciate and stuff like kids were listening to him. And the biggest shift I saw was like, you know, as opposed to like, you know, like when we were coming up, this kind of like this, this kind of thing of like, okay, we're going to do graffiti for X amount of time. And then we're going to do it till we can't <laughs> for whatever reason. And then we're going to, kind of segue into the art thing because that just seems like a, a you know a natural transition to do once you know all of these kind of forces that are against you when you paint graffiti you know kind of get too heavy um whereas I think like in that era there were people that had were barely painting graffiti that then were like I want to be a contemporary artist like from the get you know and we're kind of looking looking at all of us I think and I think a lot of us were also kind of you know, following closely behind our friends that were like, you know, having success, you know, seemed to be having success in this kind of area and and kind of finding their identity and way, you know, and um, yeah, no, it was just an interesting time, you know what I mean? It's like, I always wanted to make art, like, I like really always like put creativity first, like to me, painting graffiti, like, I know for a lot of people, it's more like a, an extreme sport, you know, it's something that has a whole different set of kind of rules and parameters, you know, it's totally separate from like doing art, you know what I mean? Like, and, um, and for a lot of people, it's also about lifestyle. Like the lifestyle element is like really huge, like, you know, like an outside of the world. And, you know, I've met American writers like this too, is really connected to being a criminal, like stealing, you know, to make your money or selling drugs to make your money living a completely alternative lifestyle, getting money by a totally alternative means to just do this thing, you know, but um, that was not ever me. Like for me, my, my, like if I stole, I stole cause I just, I had to keep creating. Like I just wanted to paint at a certain pace. You know what I mean? It was like nothing to do with like the thrill of stealing. Like I, I would have rather had, had not, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, but you know, but I just loved the art so much that I was going to do whatever I, I had to do, you know. Mm -hmm. So when all these possibilities and things open up and people start, like, actually, like, having creative careers off of the back of their reputation and everything, that's, like, the most exciting shit for me, you know. Like, I was like, oh, you know. And I jumped headfirst into the opportunity, you know. It's like, okay, yeah, I'm going to do everything. Like, <laughs> I want to paint big murals. I want to do gallery shows. I want to make prints. I want to, you know. <laughs> explore fine art to, to the fullest you know and be a part of that and as you say keeping that keeping that kind of connection to graffiti is really important you know and I've, I've I've strayed away and come back I always come back it always the graffiti aesthetic attitude the DIY kind of mentality the the sampling kind of aspect of like just hip-hop culture in general you know um all of that it's just that whole ethos just informs everything I do. And, and a lot of my friends, as you say. Yeah. I think that uh, one thing that's important uh, for people doing, doing uh, things such as that is to really, you know, foster this culture inside of themselves of like, you know, ingenuity, making something out of nothing, mm -hmm. just creating, because that's, that's really what the, the, uh, the like history and culture of not just graffiti, but, um, the time period in in what I think of in in New York City when all of this stuff was being like created that mm. can still exist it's like these are the people who made it what it was and to kind of define this culture however uh we have people in our modern day era um like you were saying like revoke who are making a whole new definition of things or mm. um a crew that I like to point to is like Iraq crew making mm -hmm. a whole new definition of how you do things as well. And mm -hmm. that's like really what, in my opinion, keeps the, the spirit alive. Uh, mm -hmm. One of the things that I feel like is, is such a question to ask you is like, so you're from New Zealand. You came up at, at first painting graffiti in New Zealand, uh, you know, painting the transit system in New Zealand, but then you found, you find yourself in, uh, you know, like West coast getting down with MSK painting with people like, like auger how did that uh how did that all happen how'd you get down with msk 
moving here and, and meeting the set of people who you ended up meeting, you know? Mm. Well, like to, to go back like a long way, like to 2000, yeah, 90, 99, 2000, um, I actually came up with a concept like for a festival. Like I had seen in like European graffiti magazines that they had like these graffiti jams, like the meet the original meeting of styles and V Spartan and stuff like that. And I saw photos from this and I thought, man, that like seems amazing. Like what if, you know, I just, I was always of the mentality that whatever I saw happening overseas, I was like, New Zealand needs that, you know, because it's like, we're the most isolated country in the world. Like literally geographically, we're so far away from everything. So I came up with an idea to like start bringing like um, the artists that I really admired, you know, over to, to paint live, you know, in uh, Altair Square, which is in the center of a city in Auckland. And um, it was kind of one of those really organic things where I started with kind of one set of artists and sort of each sort of, you know, subsequent like group of artists that would come out would kind of recommend people. You know, so like initially, like the first festival, I, I had Lumet come out, you know, and then the following year was like Lumet, Dime, and then Cantu, you know, and then Cantu became someone I became really connected to. And he was really, really like great to us um, and shared a lot of knowledge and connections, you know, and then I met Atom, Smash, Wow123, like all these people. So it was very German focused for me for quite a while. But in 2000 and um, I say it was 2002. Um, I ended up bringing the first artist out from the US that I brought out. Um, like Cantu actually linked me with Bates, you know, from Denmark. Yeah. But the same year, we also brought out Ewok from MSK uh, and Totem um, from Atlanta came out as well that year. Um, but Ewok stayed like a little bit longer than everybody. Like he 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 was sleeping on our couch, you know, at our place. We lived in the shittiest place. Like it was this rat infested house. There was only two houses on the street. It was like us and a and a brothel next door. And our house was like sideways, like almost falling over. And like you used to have to fight with rats, you know, would be in the kitchen and they'd get in through under the sink and get through the cutlery drawer and they'd be fighting you for like your sandwich. Like <laughs> you'd leave your sandwich ingredients on the on the bench for too long. You know, hear the rattle of cutlery and head out and there's like a rat, like a massive rat. It was like the worst place. <laughs> but um he he slept there on the couch and really clicked with him. And I think that that friendship like kind of establishing that friendship with him kind of really went a long way you know because when I started networking with some of the other guys um in MSK and I, I would say that probably happened around 2004 2005 started talking with Rhyme and Revoke on MySpace like we were messaging each other on MySpace Revoke was aware because I used to publish a magazine as well and Tower Records used to used to import our magazine and um so people started to become a little bit more aware of like the new zealand scene and um revoke had racked like the magazine he was like oh shit you, you know you're the dude that made that i like that magazine it's really great it's like oh awesome so you know that was cool i think like casey eclipse started like reaching out because he was starting to make a lot of moves with the known gallery thing and the seventh letter thing and started to like reach out to like artists around the world kind of trying to build like a bit more of a kind of global network and started inviting me to contribute like you know little pieces for like shows and bits and pieces like and I, I didn't even really know what I was doing like on a, on a finance side of things but I was like yeah I'll make a little thing and send it over or whatever and then I went to um I went to Germany in 2006 and was with Atom and Wow, Cantu and Smash. And they got invited to this festival that Arrow was organizing in Brighton. And we all flew over and Ryan, Revoke, Seva, Persuay was there with them. There was a bunch of people. Blade was painting at that festival. It was like pretty cool. And um, I like traveled over with those guys. And then because I wasn't like invited per se, and there was no budget, like, because those guys were like the Montana writer team, the German Montana writer team, whatever. And I wasn't like really able to stay at their hotel, whatever. Arrow opened up his house 
for like basically all the stragglers to stay at and revoke and everybody was staying there at the same house and I was sleeping there. And so, yeah, we all just kind of like ended up kicking it, hanging out, get, getting along really well. Ryan was like his typical, like abrasive self when I met him. It was like, I was like, because he had been the most friendly and reached out the earliest, but then you meet him in person. <laughs> And he's just going to be such an abrasive character. You know, I mean, he's a very East Coast kind of guy, you know, in his way, you know. So, but, you know, like Revoke was like immediately like friendly and um, really encouraging, you know. And from that point, um, we just maintained like really consistent contact. And then it was like 2008, it was like two years later, I finally made my, my first travel to the United States. So I went to New York, like, obviously, like, my connection in New York has always been Wayne. You know, like, Wayne was just the guy, uh, still is to me. Like, he's just kind of like, everyone I met in New York, I met I met mostly through him or Ryan. And, um, and so I went out to New York, and we stayed, like, with all the COD guys, but hanging out with all of them and painting, and then we flew out to L.A., and when we got to LA, it coincided right with the time where Revoke like had his first big arrest. Mm. It was like the the kind of like the arrest that started that whole kind of avalanche of like, like legal woes that he kind of dealt with for the next decade. Um, but he literally like because he wasn't he wasn't answering the phone. Like my friend from New Zealand also flew in to meet us there in LA, and then he was like leaving all these panic messages on my phone. Like oh shit, you know like. Um, are you sure your friend's cool? Like, he's not going to, like, stand us up or whatever because I'm, like, trying to hit him up and he's not answering. And then we flew from New York and then we landed and I got a message saying, oh, it's all good, I found him. He's got a crazy story to tell you. He had just got out of jail. He'd been, like, the, the, the sheriffs from a whole other county came across and, like, raided his house in L.A. and took him away. And, uh, yeah, that's kind of, like, so funny. So my friendship with him kind of always kind of coincided with that whole, all of that bullshit he kind of had to go through. But, yeah, I think I think we just built good friendships that, from there. I, I, that, like, when we went to his house that, that day that we arrived, or that afternoon, Trav was there, Orgo was there. They had just been put in MSK, like, you know, within like it was like a, within a couple of months of them being put in the crew. Mm-hmm. You know, Zess lived with him at the time, so met Zess, clicked with him real, real well. Met Alloy the first time on that trip. Uh, met Paisa the first time on that on that trip. Like met a bunch of them, and yeah, they're just like I don't know the mentality, man. Like like LA guys are real different, you know, and they're different to the East Coast cats, like. You know, they've got their own kind of thing. It's their own universe, you know, and approach and attitude. But they're very akin to the mentality that I grew up with in, in Auckland. I don't know if it's just being Pacific, like, cities with the same communities of people kind of drifting, you know, and a bit of overlap there. Something about the attitude, you know. Maybe maybe we just had more Californian influence, you know, to, to our graffiti and everything. So it was just being with them and being there in, in Southern California felt like home, you know? I mean, painting, uh, painting LA is just completely different. I feel from painting anywhere else. And, mm-hmm. uh, I have a, like a lot of, a lot of friends in LA. Um, and just like what I've heard from everyone who's painted out there is just, you know, the same story you have to be, you have to be aware of the gangs more than you have to be aware of the cops that, uh, the gangs will walk up on you and it'll be like a movie set. And, mm-hmm. um, I know that you've had some experiences with that uh, painting out there. So uh, yeah, what can what can you say about that? Well, it was kind of like one of those things. Like when we got there, it was really at the height of like when like Revoke was like, a, I mean, he hasn't lived in LA for a really long time now, you know. So I don't know if he would call himself or consider himself an LA guy anymore. But at that moment, to me, my perception at least was like he was like the most LA dude, you know, like. Because on one hand, he was doing all this crazy graffiti stuff. But then at the same time, the social side of things, like when they were partying, there were so many kind of semi-famous and famous people around. And they kind of just, they just kind of lived this life that kind of like, it's almost like what we kind of perceived coming from this little island. 
that these MSK guys might be like. They were exactly like doing exactly what we thought they were, you know, and um, it was pretty wild. Like we got there and on the first night, we ended up like going out on the town and there were all these like, you know, kind of reality star people <laughs> around partying and stuff and the drinks were free and it was very kind of lavish and kind of like, you know, Hollywood. But then, you know, like within 12 hours, we had a run-in with the avenues um, in Highland Park, you know, when we were painting at this the spot that, I mean, the spot's not even like a spot anymore, but it was kind of like this weird vortex where they always had trouble. Like every time they painted this wall, there was some sort of conflict or issue. Uh, I think there's like a community garden there now. It's like, I mean, Highland Park's changed a lot, you know, but yeah, we, we, we just got rolled up on because there was like an altercation at the wall and uh, with this guy who was just like drunk at 10 in the morning and acting a fool. And uh, he, he was running around the neighborhood kind of yelling for help and like anyone that would happen to hear him, you know, uh, you know, they could, they could take it how they wanted, you know, they could, they could take it on face value and listen to him. And what he was saying was kind of stupid, you know, like, cause they were like, uh, he was like telling them there was a gang of white guys cruising around beating up Mexicans or something, you know? So they all rolled up. They blocked us more or less in the alleyway. The guys on either side, so that we weren't going anywhere. And this, you know, OG looking dude comes up. He was pretty intense. He had like avenues tattooed across his top lip, and you know, it was for me. You know, it's weird because it was so surreal. It's like you say, it's like a movie. Like all of the slang and all of the kind of the swagger and kind of character of these people was like stuff I'd only seen on TV, you know, in the movies. And so I was kind of like not understanding the the seriousness of the situation. I was like laughing like the whole time. And I don't know if it was like a nervous reaction as well, but I just thought the whole situation was so, so ridiculous, you know? And, um, and then my friends like, Oh, you know, the, they got guns and so I realized oh shit they do they all have guns like this is actually like kind of serious you know um but we were talking with them and they kind of were looking at this group of people this eclectic group of people there was people from I think like we had like uh who was there it was like Seth and Med were there um there were like you know Orga you know like you know in August like you know he's half black half Mexican you know, there's like basically my friends are all Polynesians, you know, like there's people with English accents, like Arrow was there, Serum from Australia, you know, there's a ton of like people of all different, like, you know, ethnic backgrounds from different parts of the world with different accents. And this, this, this gang leader dude was like looking at us and he was like, you guys don't look like any sort of fucking gang I've seen. He's like, what the what is going on here? Like, so Revoke started explaining, like, we're actually artists, like, you know, we're painting this mural, you know, we're not, we're not a gang, you know. And then the guy was like, Oh, and this this dude that'd been acting a fool kept acting a fool. And I guess this guy was smart enough to see it. And he's like, you know what, this guy's an idiot. He's like, he's gonna keep being an idiot. And he goes, So it's up to you guys to be tolerant and just ignore him. You know what I mean? Because I don't need fucking like you guys beating dudes up in my neighborhood, you know, so chill the fuck out. And everyone was like, okay. And then like, you know, later on the dude that got beaten up came back and he was all happy. He was like, I just wanted to be your friend and all this stuff. And then the gangsters, like a whole bunch of them came back with their kids and they all had like lawn chairs and stuff and were sitting around watching us. And uh, it turned into a super cool day, but that kind of first 12, 12 to 24 hours in LA, I sort of, I got to experience a little bit of the whole <laughs> you yeah, know, exactly. gamut of what it has to offer. Some of them ended up, you know, having, having children of their own. And, you know, I hear the same thing from, from everyone, which is like, it's, it's a life-changing thing and mm. you don't really know how it's going to be like until you, until you're there. And, you know, like talking to my friends, uh, like in my, in my personal life and shit, I realized that a lot of them are very unsure of whether or not they want to have a child. And many even point to just no. Um, so was that kind of the flow that you were on or was this something that you knew you wanted uh, for, for a while? I mean, I've always wanted to be a parent. Like I always wanted to be, 
I've always wanted to have a, have a kid. You know, I don't know if I want to have more than one kid. <laughs> I don't know if my wife wants to either. Like one right now seems like sufficient, you know, for, for where we're at in life, you know, and what we can do to, to ensure a really good life for, for her. Um, but I always thought that I would be a parent. I'm just kind of like thankful in a lot of ways that it didn't happen for me at another stage in my life when I was younger because we might be looking at a scenario where I might have been like unable to do the things that I'm doing now, you know, or my wife also wouldn't have been in a position to provide the way that she is right now, you know, where she is able to give us like a, a pretty comfortable life in the sense that we have benefits and security, you know, like, like I can go get glasses because I need glasses, which I could never do before. I can go to the dentist when I need to go to the dentist. You know, like I cut my hand open the other day and had to get stitches and I went to the emergency room and, you know, I didn't get hit with like a, a staggering bill, you know, because prior, like in all the years that I've been here in the US, I mean, I've avoided any type of like anything like that, you know, like it's all being deferred until we found ourselves in this exact position, you know, and um, it would have been irresponsible in a lot of ways. I mean, it's, you know, I didn't grow up with, with much, you know, like I had teenage parents, you know, my, my mom was 16 when she got pregnant. She was still in her second to last year of high school. She got kicked out for being pregnant. She was 17, just turned 17 when she had me, you know, my parents relationship didn't last very long, you know, you know, they, they were split up by the time I was like 18 months. And, you know, like a lot of those things, like those lessons I learned from like their life experience and everything and the things that they've imparted on me, like, you know, and that I've seen them go through, like struggling as young people to get a footing, like just to get like stable careers and education for themselves, um, to buy a home, to do all the things that they've managed to do, you know, a lot of that was deferred and and happened like much later for them from from being young parents, you know, and um, yeah, there's just like a part of me that knew like, man, I have to make sure I've kind of got my shit together <laughs> a little bit more, you know, mm-hmm. and maybe just mentally where I'm at, you know, like I just I don't know, like it, it's super rewarding, man. It's it's real crazy, hey, like. I just sit and watch my kid do all sorts of funny stuff all day. And just the, they're like little sponges. So everything that they're kind of learning, you sort of are reminded, damn, I need to like really be the, the most genuine version of myself, you know, for this person, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And also I feel like your situation speaks to um, the different chapters in life. uh, Cause you know, you spent, 20 years painting illegal graffiti that people didn't want to see and mean people meaning like the general public Mm -hmm. don't don't really want to see and then you feel you know strange as you start getting into doing more like mural work doing murals that are 11 stories high wanting to do 100 200 a year which Mm -hmm. is which is ridiculous because if something's 11 stories high how do you that 100 to 200 that's crazy um well i mean with the murals realistically you know you're gonna you're gonna a good year you're gonna paint probably 10 i reckon across a a whole year i think most artists like probably most of kind of the 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 mural artists i know they probably aren't painting much more than that in a year and that's a big that's a big year because logistically like what's involved in doing that like it's crazy like for a short time my wife came and, and painted with me and and uh, when we were living in New York, like we were supporting ourselves, like through me painting murals, but it often meant we had to travel out of New York a lot, you know, to other parts of the world to basically pay our New York rent, which was like astronomical. <laughs> you know, uh, where in New York did you live? We lived in Clinton Hill, okay. you know, so it was a nice, it was a nice area, man. I really loved it. Like it was the only area I lived there. Like uh, she got, she moved in with a friend from California when she first got there a year before I moved there and moved in with her like pretty much straight away. And it's the only area that we, we lived. And I just, honestly, I loved it, man. I never wanted to really leave. Like I, I would have been happy staying there. I don't know if we would have been in a position to, to have a family there, but you know, especially right just before the pandemic hit and everything I, man, I was in my stride. 
Like, I just loved it. I just, I finally felt like it was home. Like, it, it's a hard city to adjust to when you're not from there. And especially when you come from a, a small place like I do, you know, like everybody knows knows each other in my city. Like, it's a, it's a city of like less than 2 million people, you know, but people are all aware of and know each other. And like, the scenes are like really easy to kind of navigate and... And then you come to New York and the anonymity is like both liberating uh, and also it's sometimes the loneliest, loneliest thing. Like, you know, you can feel both things at the same time in that city. You can feel like, um, like you can feel comfortable just to fucking like cry on the train <laughs> when, when you're so frustrated with life and no one gives a fuck, you know, but also, they, they see you, but they've all been there. <laughs> they've all had a cry on the train. <laughs> you know, like, they've all got frustrated with life at some point, you know. <laughs> like, like, I've seen so many people crying on the train, you know, like just having a moment. And I'm just like, damn, I feel, I feel that. I felt that way, you know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It was, it's a tough, tough place, man. It's like the thing I loved about the East Coast and New York specifically was – Nobody makes any false promises. You know, people are quite genuine and very honest and they don't overextend, you know, like before they know you, like they have to really see what you're about and see, you know, that you're a person that means what they say, you know, whereas like, you know, LA is kind of like a place where people are really like, dreaming about all these things all the time i wouldn't it be cool to do this and that and people love hanging out socializing and talking about these things they're going to do that never happen you know half the time you know and people in la will tend to tell you like oh i'm gonna do this for you i'm gonna do that for you blah 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 new yorkers never do that never you know like they they've got such a totally different mentality you know and and i grew to really love it like I was like, man, you always know where you stand with people here. Like you really do. Like, like the and they just tell you. Like they just will tell you what they think, you know, and they won't hold back. And I heard someone say, like, New York is like the city that you move to be like your very best. You know, that's a that's a tough place to make it, you know, and it's like a place where you go to be your very best, you know, which is definitely true. You know, because like even professionally and like working, you know, with the agency that I work with out there for like mural and illustration projects and things like the level of like professionalism and what was expected of me was just like it was the best. Hmm. I loved it. I loved working and operating at that level. Like I, I thrived, you know, once once those doors started to open for me, I was like, fuck, this is this is what I've always wanted, but could never have, you know, coming from where I come from, you know. So, yeah, you know, it was a shame to leave, man. I didn't do much on the graffiti side of things there, too. I, I painted, like, a ton of abandos, like, mostly with host. Hmm. I like paint, paint a lot with host. He's, uh, you know, still a very close friend. Yeah, host is a good a good person. Um, yeah. We had him on the show a while ago, honestly, at this point, but super cool talking to him and, and meeting him, you yeah. know. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Brooklyn legend. Yeah, all the all all of all of those guys, this whole crew, are just like the best dudes. Like I, I really, I really like you know, and they're all old friends that grew up together too. So like they they have that kind of chemistry, you know, and the way that they 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 mock each other and joke and shit is just like it's it's such a good thing. It's magic. Yeah. Um. Well, honestly, it seems like you have a really good thing going, especially with your situation with uh, raising your daughter and stuff being able to spend a lot of time with her. I feel like that's not something that everybody gets to do with their child because of the nature of the society that we live in. You have mm -hmm. to be working and and sometimes two, never mind just one, can't can't uh you know be enough to like pay rent and and pay the lights and pay all that shit. So um very happy to hear that you're doing well, man. And and uh honestly just wishing you nothing but uh positive wishes. Oh, I appreciate it, man. No, I mean, I'm I, I, honestly, I don't take it for granted. That's for sure, you know. But I'm I'm looking forward to also, you know, like my next phase of work too, because a lot of things have been brewing, you know, mm -hmm. and I'm really ready to 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 bring that out and kind of and to to show that I'm I'm starting to take baby steps into into sculpture. 
Oh, cool. Yeah. That's awesome. And, you know, the whole AR thing, you know, like I've, I've, I've given a lot of thought to like the way that AR can really be used in conjunction with what we're doing as, as graffiti artists and muralists in some ways that I think would be a very powerful intervention, you know, compared to the way things have been going, which is sort of increasingly pulling people, you know, into the virtual world. You know, I see like a lot of potential for these technologies to pull people back out into the actual physical world you know, to experience, you know, and I'm a history buff, you know, and I love exploring like the deeper context and everything, you know, and 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 I think that there's uh, the, the ability to kind of now augment graffiti in a way that kind of can explain context and history process, you know, because one thing that young people like, and this is one thing from being incredibly on social media, over the last like you know couple of decades that I've learned is that the main thing that young people are really interested in is process. Most young people get on and look at people's Instagrams and listen to podcast interviews and you know they all kind of absorb this media because they're so hungry to learn. Mm. You know, and I think like you know where we don't live in a, a, a graffiti kind of like reality anymore, where like kind of necessarily you have these like larger crews that kind of really school and educate younger people or bring them up in a lineage of style like they used to like if you look at like kind of that whole kind of lineage of like new york crews like you kind of look at that kind of you know that kind of fba sort of tc5 fc ibm like you see a kind of like a branch of a tree you know what i mean it's like and you see that on the west coast with like awr and msk you know, and you, you see the, the older guys to the younger guys and you see a, a connection, you know, but you don't see that so much with younger writers, you know. Um, so I think that we have a, a responsibility as people of my generation now as we're getting older to um, impart a lot of, you know, knowledge, you know, and start sharing with younger people, you know, so they can kind of really learn and feel, feel those connections, you know, albeit a different way because we are, you know, we don't just live in our neighborhoods anymore. We live in the world, you know. No, that's 100% true with all the technology that's coming up. I mm -hmm. feel like, you know, you can hate on it or you can love it. But at the end of the day, it's something that's coming. And just that's just a human thing to be mm -hmm. always, um, always going more with technology. Mm -hmm. Some people want less. It is what it is. But uh, I think that all we could do as um, as as people is use the technology that is here to make our lives better and mm -hmm. just have a more i guess advantageous fucking society or like advantageous community you know there's no point in in just hating it and and at the end of the day it sucks because if your personal preference is to not want to use that shit uh it is in your right to do so and i i guess i can also understand that aspect as well however the reality is is that the world will leave you behind and then before mm -hmm. you, know, you won't you won't really know how to function in this world that is so dependent on these things and me personally like i i enjoy it because look i'm having this conversation with you right now and uh i don't this is my first time i guess meeting you uh talking to you and through this medium of technology um you know like we on our end have been able to share a bunch of stories and create a platform and do all this thing and get people together and share mm -hmm. ideas. And, and then it just goes on and on from there. I mean, you know, we've been talking a lot about like people in MSK and their artistic pursuits and how they're pushing the levels. Um, but even going far back as to mentioning, mentioning revokes blog, well, that's something that's, you know, using a technology that, then inspires so many people. I remember when um, Revoke and, and Augur had this video on YouTube that's probably still out of them painting mm -hmm. and it starts and like they're doing huge outlines on this like tanker type of thing and then mm -hmm. they flat because like there's a car or something coming by. I watched that so many times and and it influenced my life uh, a lot, you know, and, and it uh, kind of made me just more and more intrigued and I'm over here on the Northeast Coast they're all the way in the West Coast, yet mm. they don't even know. No one knows. I'm I'm watching this shit. Never mind all the other people who are watching it. And like it's because of this technology that we're able to share. It's like writing a letter to someone 
except that letter is going to travel so much faster and uh, a lot wider. So I, I personally appreciate it and um, look forward to seeing uh, what comes of it. Of course, everything comes with negative, mm-hmm. but even books they thought was going to be negative because it was going to mm-hmm. destroy our memory or whatever it is like. And that's true. Like it probably did fucking destroy our memory. We don't even realize it, but like, I, I'm uh, I'm grateful for it. And I'm grateful that there's people like you who are using it to push your own limits, um, you know, advance yourself as an artist and just, I guess, make the world like a, a better place. So respect to you for that. Well, you know, what's interesting, man, like, because I, I reckon like somebody that doesn't get enough credit for that kind of big shift in, in kind of online video content, but Casey Eclipse once again, you know, like, because he was producing those seventh uh, day project videos and that that was right at that kind of shift when uh, DSLR cameras, you know, became incredibly accessible and the video kind of capabilities of them, you know, were like uh, such that you couldn't really kind of, you know, from a, a layman's point of view, you couldn't really differentiate, you know, between like what what uh, was shot on like a, a, a 5D Mark II to like, you know, on like what would have been like probably before like a twenty thirty thousand dollars $30,000 camera, you know. And um, that that was like a big shift, man. Like, honestly, I don't think that my career would have taken the trajectory it did if I had not watched those videos and immediately been inspired to make video content. Because Burst and I started making video content and they were like skate videos. It was like a highlight reel, you know. So you what you're seeing is a, a montage of us landing all these flares and all these kind of cool, tricky kind of things. And, you know, like a whole lot of people ran with that after us too, you know, like, cause Sophos, who's in our crew, like same thing. Like, I mean, he's just so naturally gifted and he's such a physical painter that, you know, he, he saw a video, you know, as, as a perfect medium to kind of show just how technical he was, you know, or is. And, um, and now, you know, there's tons of people that, especially with like things like Instagram, that kind of like uh, the algorithm kind of inherently favors video content you know, like have have built entire careers for themselves using that approach. And once again, you see that that's just a whole bunch of people kind of riffing and vibing off of each other and a shift in technology, you know, and a different platform for sharing, you know, and um, that's that's what it is. It's like we can we can we can be yelling at the sky, you know, always oh, better back in the day, but it's like this is just what it is. So, you know, as you say, you've got to kind of, um, you know, definitely maybe 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 history doesn't always favor the earliest adopters or the innovators. Uh, it's usually a few people down the line. They usually get the traction, you know, but with every shift, you know, becomes a different mode to kind of communicate, you know, and um, you know, it's, it's what keeps things evolving and progressing. Absolutely. Um, I want to say thank you so much for uh, coming on the show and speaking and sharing your stories and your ideas. Um, respect to you, respect to your crew and, uh, Um, Like I said earlier, nothing but positive wishes for you and your life path and and your family. And uh, if you're ever in New York, you know, hit me up. Uh, We're definitely I I would love to meet you in person. And same thing. um, If I'm coming to Portland, uh, I'll shoot you over a message. But, yo, thank you so much. No worries, man. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Yo, 100 percent. Yo, peace. Thank you so much. Cool. Take care. Later.